the generations that are coming after us are going to be even more blended and even more diverse. So if we're not the ones that are standing up and being a voice and showing that we can get an education and showing that we can be successful, then who are we waiting for to do it? This is the Brilliance Leadership Learning Podcast, sharing thought-provoking content and discussions to enhance your leadership development journey. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of new episodes. Here are your hosts from the digital learning team at Crotonville, GE's Global Learning Institute. Thank you for joining us on this new episode of Brilliance Leadership Learning. Today I have with me Rick Rodriguez. He is the Academics Program Manager with Talent Acquisition for Houston Independent School District. Rick and I are actually also good friends. Uh, we met when Rick was attending the Executive Human Resource Development Program at U of H. So we have stayed in touch ever since then. Um, today we are going to be talking about leadership in minority groups, specifically Hispanic and LGBTQ communities. Rick is a member of the Emerging Leaders Institute through Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. He is a graduate of United Way's Project Blueprint. He's on the City of Houston LGBTQ Advisory Board, and he is a board officer with Prospanica Houston, formerly National Society of Hispanic MBAs. So I asked Rick to be on our podcast as part of this leadership development series because he's got a really inspirational story. And part of that story is he started his career in Wells Fargo, and he has recently made a switch to work more now in the academic arena helping to inspire other generations to continue their education and be really involved in their communities. So welcome to the podcast, Rick, first and foremost. Thank you. Gracias. Tell us a little bit about your journey from Wells Fargo to where you started to go now. Sure. Yeah. So about, you know, maybe two years ago, I came to a realization that I had reached a point in my life, some of us call it like a, a quarter life crisis, where the work isn't necessarily fulfilling and in all honesty, I'd spent a little over nine years with Wells Fargo Bank in different capacities and realized that there was something to be said about the background that I have, and that being a first-generation American. Both of my parents are from Mexico, so obviously they came to this country to give us a better opportunity for education, but also to get us to a point where we can also give back to our community and be a voice for those that we represent. So a couple of years ago, I came to this realization that there was something bigger out there for me. And it was maybe about a year long journey for me to actually find the right spot. But in that, I, I began to volunteer with a lot of organizations, uh, some of those that you already mentioned, and also you know, sought after a career coach to help me out and really realize what my next step was. And it came to education. And I had the opportunity to join Houston ISD. Uh, back then was as a college success manager helping our students. And I was at the district level with everything from SAT prep to college applications to uh, test taking, you name it. We were providing resources to ensure that they were ready. And just some quick background on HISD, we're about 70% Hispanic and about 80% low economic status. So that says a lot about the community, the urban community here in Houston, especially the community that, that I represent uh, as an individual. So in that, I've realized that there's so much more for me to impact, and I appreciate the work that I do right now. Uh, now as an academics program manager, I lead some of our university partnerships to recruit and create a pipeline for future teachers. 
because it all starts with the educators that are in the classroom. I, I think a lot of us that are at a certain level of our career got here because there was somebody in the classroom helping us out, allowing us to open up our eyes, our opportunities to come into who we are to be. And I want to make sure that those generations that are coming after me also have that opportunity. And it all starts with ensuring that we have not only a quality teacher in the classroom, uh, but quality curriculum, curriculum and education to ensure that we're delivering on the right opportunities for these students. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, was lucky enough to kind of see you go through this journey. You know, when when we first met, you were still working with Wells Fargo. Correct. And I saw you kind of go through this dilemma almost of, you know, you've been with Wells Fargo for so long and, um, you know, had a certain career path and a certain level of success there and how and where and when you should kind of switch your paths. And so that was one of the really inspiring parts of it for me was that you did just kind of go and make this jump aligned to your values as a leader. And even at Wells Fargo went through the program when we were talking, I I saw you do that. You were always really great with taking what you were learning in the program and trying to build up the the your direct reports at Wells Fargo. And so to see you kind of take it to another level right. um, with some specific communities, I think is really great. No, I, I definitely agree. I think a, a big piece of that was I've always had this focus of ensuring that I'm developing somebody else behind me. I'm not trying to get to a place to ensure that, you know, I've reached a certain level of success and everybody else that's under me needs to figure it out on their own. Right. I think we're all here to ensure that we are empowering others around us to reach and have this vision of, of ultimate success and ultimate goals for the greater good. And the program, as well as my experience in transitioning, has allowed me to do that, uh, given me a, a lot more passion, but also purpose in the work that I do. And so you mentioned that, you know, encouraging people to further their education and things like that is one piece of it. But the other piece is also having people who are there to inspire you and to encourage you as well. So was there anybody in your life in particular that helped you do that? Was it something that you kind of came to on your own? So a a couple of things, especially with this transition that I made, um, there was this individual, his name's Dustin Peterson, and there was a book that I read that he wrote. And after I read the book, I reached out to him and we had a one-on-one conversation, a coaching session, really. And that's when I first had that vision of, I need to do something about it because obviously there's something in my gut that's telling me that I need to make a transition that I need to have a a stronger voice for my communities, that I really need to be a change agent and an advocate for my communities. And I wasn't necessarily doing that at Wells Fargo. So once we met, his ultimate question was, well, why aren't you doing it? If you already have it in your heart, your gut's telling you, "Why why don't you just take a leap of faith and switch? And it's not that easy because you have a lot of, I guess, roadblocks or or mind blocks where you think that you can't because you've gotten so used to the environment that you've been at so used to a salary that you you're comfortable with and all of a sudden here you are going to take a a leap of faith into a whole other industry but i knew that if i wanted to be that change agent and advocate i needed to do that so he was one of the strongest voices in me coming over to houston isd one of the other pieces that, I've, uh, that I'm a firm believer in is surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, more passionate than you, more successful than you. And one of the programs that you mentioned with emerging leaders through the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, 
it provided an environment where I wasn't only amongst other successful individuals, but they were also sharing the same background that I did. They're all minorities. They're all newer to this country or their families are from another country. Yet they were being change agents in their own work across industries. But it, it definitely gave me a sense of empowerment and motivation and determination to truly continue to, to be an advocate for, for my community. So those two pieces were definitely a, a, a huge um, a push, a huge push for me to continue to move forward. And of course, I mean, being in education, I'm a huge advocate for education, furthering your own education, especially if you want to be marketable out there across industries, you have to have that experience and credibility. And also, many times you need the education behind that. Well, and, and what in your mind is the value of just staying educated in general? At GE, we have this mantra of learning every day. Um, so along with the, the more tactical sides of getting an education and helping you know, your career and things like that, what, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned through these programs that you've been in um, and just your overall philosophy on that? One thing is that don't settle. Obviously, you reach a point where you are successful and you are at a place where you thought you were going to be, but there's there's so much more out there for us to learn and for us to venture into. We're in a time where there is such a huge change in the work demographic that we're in. So many new populations of workers that are coming into the workforce, so much adaptation that we have to have to new technologies that are being advanced to where if you want to continue to grow, that is a big piece of it. You need to continue to educate yourself so that you can be a resource for others, but also so that you can be marketable going forward. Um, it also just, it, it builds in you a sense of trust from the leaders that are above you. And they, they come into a vision of you that you are not only an employee of the company, but you're an asset to the company because now you're aligning your skill set and your passion and your, all of your strengths to the work. So being a minority yourself, what are some of the challenges that you have faced and just ways that you've overcome them? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of marginalization that happens in the workforce and in our community. You, you think about the political climate that we're in. And for me, at least, the, the town that I came from was a small, very traditional Hispanic, mainly Mexican town in South Texas to where they weren't necessarily ready for 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 me, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was very much already wanting to have a presence in this world and be successful beyond what my family or what my community was telling me. Uh, and for me, the biggest thing that has gotten me through it is the sense of self-respect and the sense of self-awareness uh, while also being aware of the environment that I'm in. So I don't come into an environment thinking you need to adapt to me, but how can I adapt to you and the surroundings as a whole so that we can make it work for the greater good? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the work and it's about the impact that we're making. Some of the pieces that have continued to provide that mindset for me have been hearing the stories of others who are currently in that struggle, whether it's their minority in the sense that they're an immigrant to this country or a minority in the sense that they're LGBTQ or whatever it may be, 
they all have a story and haven't come into a place to where they feel comfortable enough in their own skin. So they need somebody else who's already lived through it to be that voice or to be that shoulder to lean on at the macro level so that they can see that you can be successful despite any uh, challenges and any stereotypes that someone may have of you. And that's a big piece to making sure that you're continuing to grow as a person yourself. Were those values something that you kind of always had even when you were younger or was there, was there somebody else who, I mean, you mentioned that you've, you've kind of, you're obviously somebody who's observed the world around you a lot. Um, so was there something that you saw that said, this is something that I, I want to pursue to be true to myself or did it take you some time to kind of realize that? Well, it took me nine years working at Wells Fargo Bank. No, I'm totally joking. But, you know, my experience there allowed me to develop a lot of leadership qualities. And that's one of my biggest appreciations for working with Wells Fargo Bank. But as far as my values and, and me wanting to be a voice and a change agent, I think it's my upbringing, like very humble beginnings growing up with little to nothing and seeing the sacrifices that were being done by those around me just to, just so that I can have an education and a better quality of life. You know, my mother always told me, don't expect anybody around you to help you get to where you want to be. But when you get to that place, you better make sure you're helping somebody else yeah. because we can't do this alone. That's really interesting. And that is a Harley. <laughs> That's my Harley outside. One of my five cars. That I'm That's still paying for. Clearly, somebody has given back to Rick. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, do you do you find it? Is there any irony? And I don't know if there is. I'm just I'm just asking the question because you mentioned that the community wasn't necessarily ready for you when you were growing up. So, do you find it also sort of ironic that the same community that maybe wasn't ready for you is the, also the community that inspired you to to be better? It is irony because it, it's it's a community where I felt so uncomfortable and so out of my element, uh, but challenged me to realize that that is who I am. So you need to embrace it. And not only that, but make them aware that I realize that I am a Mexican-American, that I'm first generation in this country to not only get an education, but have a decent career. So you mentioned, um, you know, you're a first generation college grad. You mentioned growing up that, um, you know, that you were, your family was, was very upfront about, you know, nobody's going to give you, give you things and give handouts. And, um, what I wanted to ask is, you know, there's a lot of criticisms of our generation in general about, how hard that we work or our expectations. And of course it's, you know, different backgrounds and um, different communities have different experiences, but I just want to ask you, what are your perspectives on that in terms of the Hispanic community and minorities in general? Well, I realize that we're working in a community where the people who are saying those stereotypes are the older generation that have this mentality of, you stick to one job, you stick to what you do now, and you stick with it for 20 plus years. Sure. I do realize that 
when we see or hear that, it causes a sense of, is that who I am? So a sense of really questioning whether or not that stereotype is true or not. And it's so easy, especially for minorities, when you're right. al- you're already getting marginalized from politics, from your own community even sometimes, to succumb to those thoughts. Um, so it, it is it is challenging, uh, but not impossible. I, th- I don't think it's a, a blanket statement for everybody, right. because I do realize that a lot of minorities, especially those who are first-generation in this country or immigrants themselves have this super strong work ethic and this stronger sense of wanting and needing to be successful because they know that they haven't come to this country for any reason. They're here because they want the American dream. And in that, it, it creates a sense of, of drive that despite whatever obstacle or barrier that you face, even if it is a stereotype, that they're going to work to overcome it. Yeah, That's the beauty that I've seen thus far, especially with the organizations and communities that I surround myself with, because we are a minority group, but here we are creating a community within ourselves so that we can be a voice for others. And the beauty of it is that we don't even only do it for ourselves. If we hear something about the Muslim community or the African American community, it's not a African American issue or a Muslim issue, it's mm-hmm. our issue. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to work together to overcome it? And in in saying that, I feel like it is our responsibility because even as we continue to grow moving forward, the generations that are coming after us are going to be even more blended and even more diverse. Mm -hmm. So if we're not the ones that are standing up and being a voice and showing that we can get an education and showing that we can be successful across industries and across levels of the organization, then who are we waiting for to do it? Yeah. I think when, when you position how stereotypes can affect specifically the minority community, I think that's really important because the stereotypes are stereotypes. They're applied to a broad a broad group. And we all know that anything that's applied broadly to any group, it's not going to be correct. And so what I think is especially important about what you said is that not only do stereotypes about new generations affect that generation, but how you highlighted how it impacts generations also of minority groups in a, in a special and deeper way because of all the other background and context that is associated with that and the challenges that those communities go through. So I just, I think that I wanted to call attention to that because a lot of times, you know, people are like, oh, stereotypes, whatever, like there's stereotypes for everything. But to really have an awareness of how it affects a lot of different people and how and why I think is is really important. So I'm glad that you shed some light on how that manifests in your communities. Of course. And and to that point, you know, it it is our responsibility to be aware of that and to educate ourselves about it's not just a stereotype about a community, but how does it affect certain people within that community and how do they perceive it? How do they understand it? And what are they going to do with it? How can you help them either work through it 
or advocate for it or just truly be a voice for them in your own skin because you know that you've gone through a certain struggle or you've dealt with with xyz marginalization because of who you represent to where it is a sense of responsibility to educate yourself about others so that collectively you can overcome a stereotype which is ultimately what we're trying to do right and I'm, so first, I'm going to qualify my next statement with the fact that I'm not pretending at all to understand, you know, where you come from or where you're, uh, where the other minority groups come from. But I do identify with, as a first generation graduate, for example, me and uh, my brother, who's a couple years older than me, we're the first to, to go to college and graduate in our families. And so even just from those perspectives, I can really empathize with what you're saying because of how even just that one point for me is something where when people say, oh, yeah, you know, they expect to get all these things handed out to them and things like that. I mean, my family had a certain level of struggles growing up. And I think people see the success that, you know, me and my brother have had or right. how, you know, we're doing and they make assumptions about you. Of course. And that's just one, you know, like I said, not even half of, you know, the kind of context that you come from. So knowing that is just, um, it's even more inspiring to me to know that, that you're able to have that community behind you and have that mindset towards others. So that way they don't have to necessarily feel that way. Of course. And in you saying that, we also realize that it's not stereotyping about minorities, even you as an individual who people can assume certain things are essentially a minority in your own world. So in saying that, there's this sense of awareness of what, what are these stereotypes? Who are they about to ensure that they're actually addressing correct statements or correct representation when they're not always? It is interesting to me to know that minorities are the fastest growing population in the country, let alone Houston, the most diverse yeah. city in the nation, right. to where... We realize that there, there's this population within our demographics that has had this history of being the dominant population across our communities, which will soon be the minority population within the next, you know, couple of decades. So how are we going to adapt to that as well and work through it? Because all of a sudden, it's just going to be a melting pot of minorities, melting pot of demographics, regardless whether your your religion, your race, your gender, your gender identity, you name it, that it's going to be very exciting to me to know that there's going to be so much representation from across backgrounds. Uh, but how do you adapt to that? And how do you truly work towards educating others about yourself or about the environment or the climate that we're in so that when that time comes, you're, it's just a part of the norm. Yeah. This conversation about minorities in any type of community, it's shocking to me that we still have it. Yeah, I know. It's interesting that you brought up our community being the Houston community because, of course, I'm not from here. Um, I'm from a very small town in the Midwest. So when I came here, it, w it was culture shock, um, but in a good way. I mean, I'm so thankful that I, w that I moved to Houston and now it's you know, being the most diverse city in the United States. Um, it's, uh, I can't imagine not having had that experience because of the amazing perspective it's given me 
the amazing food that is given me. <laughs> oh, it's amazing food. I mean, it is crawfish season. So. I know. Oh gosh, it's. But yeah, I mean, all all kidding aside, it's um, it's a perspective that I can only hope that everybody has a chance in their life to get because it is a melting pot and it is so interesting to see some of the challenges that there still are even amongst communities where there's already a lot of diversity. Of course, and it's very interesting that even within Houston, yes, it is very diverse and it has its challenges, but nowhere else in the country or even the world probably will you see what is happening in Houston in terms of the change in demographics yeah. and the adaptation to it. I, I heard this professor from Rice University recently, Dr. Kleinberg, who does research on the demographics of Houston and it's longitudinal research. He says that Houston is the learning lab for the rest of the country. Mm. And wow. that is so interesting to me. Yeah, that is really interesting, but I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it's a very unique place, and it's very hard to explain, I think, to people who haven't experienced it. So I think that the other interesting piece is that Houston is also the largest um, receiver of refugees from the, yeah. in the country. So yeah. in, in knowing that, you automatically know that demographics are shifting. How are we adapting not only our industries that are in the city to welcome these new communities, but how are we adapting in our approach, in our education system, in our government, in our any terms of, of, of politics to truly align ourselves to sometimes even some of the norms of those communities? Right. Do we automatically want to have this minority group and enculturate them into what we already know? Or do we want to embrace that community to work with us to create something new? Right. And, you know, there's even people coming from other states in droves to Houston, one of those being California. I just recently read something about how, because of cost of living and things like that, that there are groups, um, low-income groups, or lower-income groups anyway. Um, it's all relative when it comes to a state like California and, right. and then Houston. Um, but, you know, that there's, there's even groups that are coming from within the United States to a place like Houston, just to emphasize the point of diversity coming from all levels. It's not even necessarily immigrants or refugees it's it's also people within our own country that are migrating to different areas for various reasons and i think houston is because of course of that diversity and of the opportunities and of the community here i agree i agree i i I see that especially now in the work that i'm doing in partnership with a lot of our universities in the area just how we're we're working through it to ensure that we are creating the same opportunities that were existent to everybody else, how are we creating these opportunities and, and expanding them to these new communities that are coming in? Because mm-hmm. we're all meant to be successful. We all deserve to have the same access to success. So from the perspective of growing your own leadership and influence and all of the things that you've done to develop both your career and yourself, what are some challenges that you faced, um, You know, whether it's personal challenges that you're willing to share or professional challenges? and what advice you would give to others who are going through maybe similar challenges? Well, a big challenge, at least, in coming into this mindset of having a drive to be successful was embracing myself for who I represent, Mm -hmm. realizing that despite coming from this Mexican culture that's so marginalized, 
despite being gay, that that is not a definition of me. It's only a part of who I am. Uh, but coming to that realization of who I was was probably one of the biggest challenges that I had. And once I embrace that, then you can deal with the other challenges that you face out in the community. But at least you do it with a sense of self-respect and you do it with a sense of, of pride. Yeah. Um, I would say from a, from a career standpoint, to your point earlier, that there's this vision of our generation and speaking more in terms of millennials that our commitment or our belief that our the work that we do is is something that we truly do with strong work ethic is something that's sometimes misconstrued mm -hmm. i think that they believe that we're not going to stick to a job for a long time and in knowing that they don't give us the same opportunities that they may give somebody who's been in the organization for yeah. over five years yeah. so that's the other challenge ensuring that i was proving myself in my roles and responsibilities and even outside of that mm -hmm. i do think that we have to work extra hard coming from these populations to prove that we are committed to the work i'm fortunate enough that at least with wells fargo i was able to develop as a leader but it wasn't just because of the color of my skin, or mm -hmm. it wasn't just because of my level of education. Mm -hmm. It was because you truly had to work extra hard to prove yourself and come to a place where they knew that you were an asset to the company and not just there to get a check to pay the bills. Right. So in that challenge, Again, it's just ensuring that you are voicing your concerns as well. It's a challenge only because you make it a challenge. Otherwise, you can probably work through it. You can work with your leadership team mm -hmm. to share your wants and your needs. Because as individuals, I do believe that we do deserve that. Mm -hmm. And in that, you'll find it surprising that many times you are very receptive to it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the organizations have adapted to realize that the workforce is shifting, not only in terms of the demographics that are coming into the workforce, but also the generations that are coming into the workforce. They have no other choice but to adapt to it. Right, yeah. And to create those opportunities. We've ta we talked about this on another recent episode, actually, um, about the need for organizations to recognize it because it's not just a generational thing. I mean, there are companies who are adapting and changing their models and it's it's competition really i mean if there's other companies doing things that are working well well it's you know it's a consumerized workforce now right like it really is i i recently had a conversation where i shared that i don't have to work where i'm at i don't have to do this mm -hmm. i have options right and it's and that's not because we're feeling entitled though it's it's just a reality of the world now i just wanted i want to clarify that that's not what you mean when you say of course i don't have to, you know it's not like i don't have to do this that's not what we mean there's options now there are a lot of options and i appreciate that a lot of organizations are adapting to that mm -hmm. and they're investing more in leadership development for minority groups i mean you think of a lot of the large organizations i don't think i've come across one that doesn't have some type of employee affinity group right 
to truly embrace the various minority populations that you represent, whatever it may be, um, but in that provide opportunities for leadership. Because uh, ultimately what's happening there is that you're just creating a network. You create a network within your organization, internally and externally, and maybe that's why we have options. Maybe that's why it is a consumer's workforce. Yeah. So one thing I want to take a step back really quick because the first the first part of your answer to that question about some of the challenges and you mentioning coming to accept yourself and and to not take what you are as like a label or to define you. Um, I thought that was really powerful. And so if there are other people who are maybe struggling with that, what would you say to them? Um, I would share that, you know, there's this quote by Dr. Seuss and it says, today you are you that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is you than you. And as childish as it sounds, because again, we all love Dr. Seuss, is it, it hits home and it's very true because there is no one else who is just like you. So how are you going to embrace that? We all have purpose in this world. If there is an issue or a challenge, there's resources out there for you to turn to, to get through it. There's a community that you can also turn to, to get through it. And you have a voice that's stronger than anybody else because you know who you represent, you know who you're worth, you know what you're worth. Um, and ultimately, everyone else around you is going to see that when you do come to terms with whatever it is. And that's when you get to this place of, this is who I am, this is who I want to be, and this is why I'm doing it. And that's beautiful. That's what I love about minorities, is that despite any stereotype that we have to work through, there's a sense of pride um, because we all have a reason to be here. And when you come to it, you will start to see that you are not only being a bit more proactive in the work that you do, but maybe in your aspirations and your goal setting. And you realize that you can be successful at it. It reminds me of something that uh, one of our other podcast guests, uh, Ram Castillo, um, he had said that he had gotten advice, I think, from a mentor at some point about um, so something similar about nobody else is going to see this moment like you are going to see it. Exactly. Um, you know, you could be walking down the street, the same street with somebody at the same time, and you're still going to see it differently than the other person sees it. And so everybody brings that unique perspective. We do. And that's the beauty of it. Why do you want to be a part of a community where we're all the same? Yeah. Or with an organization that doesn't embrace it. You're just keeping yourself from growing. You're keeping others from growing. Um, you know, to your point that you just mentioned, somebody else is going through the struggle that you're going through. Yeah. So don't succumb to it, but overcome it so that you can be a voice and a resource for those other people. Yeah. Well, and also... On the flip side of that, recognizing that other people may be going through something different than you that maybe you don't understand, but still to recognize that they're they, they're going through their own challenges. Exactly. So along those same lines of, you know, you know, communities not being the same and the value that you can get out of that, you are very active in various organizations. And in terms of the networking or the other value um, that you get from that, 
what's also some advice that maybe you would give or some things that people can start doing to get more involved and, and maybe some of the benefits of that as well? Well, you know, one of the biggest things is that you have to prioritize your time and your life. And I get that. If you <laughs> want to continue to grow yourself, there are some sacrifices that you need to make. Sacrifices with your time, maybe some of your hobbies, priorities, maybe even sometimes family. Um, but if you are on a mission to truly come into a new place as a person or in your career, it is very important for you to step out of this comfort zone that you're in. So you need to either volunteer with the local organization, you need to get involved with some type of professional organization that's out there because the networking that you build is so much more powerful than what you know. And in that, you're working towards creating a stronger voice for that minority group that you represent. You know, an, an army of one, yeah, it's possible, but when you, ha when you have an army of multiple people who share a common interest or a common goal, that's when you truly not only continue to grow as a person and feel comfortable in doing that, but you begin to shift the conversation that's happening across organizations and across industries because all of a sudden you're a part of this movement to where you're not only opening doors for yourself, but for others. And in that, growing as an individual. So I, I highly encourage people who are wanting to transition into a new career or just continue to be a voice or an advocate for who you represent explore opportunities in your community somebody in your community could probably use a mentor or probably wants to be a mentor for you uh, so don't be afraid of it with respect to some of the other maybe professional organizations what uh, how did how did you for example find the organizations that you're now a part of how can other people look into some of those and find where they can participate well the most powerful thing that we have at our fingertips is the power of Google. You already use the internet for so many things, whether it's work or personal life. Just research something in your community to where you want to search for XYZ, a Latino organization, an LGBTQ organization, African American. There's leadership organizations that you can find online. And there's always a point of contact that you can reach out to directly. Many times they're more than willing to reply, more than willing to engage you. Uh, so that you can be a part of their organizations. Uh, a lot of times, maybe they'll have a membership fee, maybe not, but there's a lot of perks that come with that, whether it's a sense of attending a networking event or a sense of volunteering at a local elementary school to mentor young children. There's something out there for everybody. Research it, find it, be a part of it. Uh, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't just say that you're interested in doing something. Uh, put it into action. And that's probably one of the other strongest things that I encourage people to do, to act. Because you can complain, you can sit around and talk about it for or against it, but if you're not taking action, nothing's happening. And then who are you really representing? Right. Well, awesome. Rick, um, this has been really great. You know that I think very highly of you. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, ha sido un placer. Muchas gracias. Gracias a ti. El placer es mío. Muchas gracias por tenerme hoy. And if our listeners want to uh, connect with you, you are on LinkedIn, so they can just look you up there. Correct. Find me on LinkedIn at Rick Rodriguez. Great. Keep doing what you're doing. And I know 
you'll be doing great things. So thanks again. Thank you, Chantal. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and of course, like, comment, rate, and share. Thanks for listening.